When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, welcome to Modern Day Debate. My name is Carissa and I'm going to be your host for tonight. We are discussing a really interesting topic tonight, whether or not COVID restrictions are silly. So really excited to get into this. We have two really great speakers. Um, The Brief, I know he's been on before and we are really happy to welcome Aaron. He is new with us tonight. So um, really happy to have you on, Aaron. Um, we are a neutral platform and we host debates on science, religion, and politics. So if you enjoy controversial debates, consider hitting that subscribe button as we have many more of them coming up. In fact, you'll see on the bottom right of your screen right now, we have a Kickstarter going to cover the honorarium for a big debate with Michael Shermer and Mike Jones on whether Christianity is dangerous. If you'd like to help watch that live, it's only three bucks and will help make this debate actually happen. The link to pledge to that Kickstarter campaign is in the description box below, and you can sign in with your Facebook account if you don't want to make a Kickstarter account. It's a lot, but it's a new idea, so we're trying to help explain the Kickstarter Um, stuff to people in detail. So definitely be sure to check that out. We also have the links um, for the speakers in the description box below. So if you really like what you're hearing, definitely go and check those out. I'm actually going to give a little bit of time for them to introduce themselves and um, kind of explain what is in their link. So the brief, if you want to go ahead and um, explain what can people find in your link. Yeah, uh, so my name is, uh, I introduced myself on my channel as Jay, uh, and the channel is called The Brief. And um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's been a bit of a slow start. Uh, things can get busy at times, and we know how all that is. We start a project, and then life gets busy, and we have to step back from it. But my hope is to uh, have very short, you know, 10 minutes or less videos that go through a, a variety of topics that are current and take a little bit more of a contrarian view on some of those. I feel like the mainstream narrative is pretty well known, but I think people are really interested in other takes on those, uh, on those news stories. So that's, that's kind of the bulk of it. Um, I do have a, a Twitter handle, um, kind of somewhat anonymous on there. Uh, it's at Chantel uh, underscore Rome, uh, and that's on Twitter. It's just my way of interacting with the Twitter world uh, a little bit more uh, incognito to be able to engage uh, with people in controversial ideas and uh, it's something I really enjoy. I want to be able to know the truth. And if I'm wrong, then all the better, because then I know the truth then after that. So that's, that's kind of my position, and that's what you'd find for me. Wonderful. Thank you so much again for coming on. Aaron, um, if you'd like to get, introduce yourself as well, that would be wonderful. 
Hey, uh, my name's Aaron. I'm living in Northern California. Uh, we're in a lockdown right here. Um, I don't have a specific channel, um, but I decided to come on and discuss this topic uh, regarding um, how unsilly the COVID uh, precautions are. Um, I have a bachelor's degree and I uh, work in communications. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. Um, and the structure of tonight's debate is going to be 10-minute openings. Um, Jay, you're going to actually be going first since you are the affirmative, followed up by Aaron with his 10-minute opening. We'll have about 50 minutes to an hour of open conversation, and uh, we'll have about 30 minutes of question and answer at the end as well. So if you do have a question, be sure to put that into the Super Chat, and we will definitely get that to at the end of the discussion. So without further ado, um, Jay, if you want to start it off, um, the floor is yours. Excellent. Thank you. All right. I've got a lot to get through. And uh, so again, our topic tonight, are the COVID restrictions stupid? Uh, I think so. And here's why. COVID-19 lockdown was our first experience in a full denial of freedom. Businesses forced closed, schools padlocked, church the same, theaters dead. We were told to stay home, risking fines if we leave and jail if we don't pay. We couldn't travel, we were separated from loved ones. This job is essential, that one is not. This surgery is canceled, this one isn't. You want a visitor from abroad, forget about it. The neighboring state, only with a two week quarantine. This is the introduction from a book uh, by Jeffrey Tucker called Liberty or Lockdown. Our statement today, COVID restrictions are stupid. I'm actually fairly convinced that most people uh, think that this is true intuitively. There is an intuitive aspect to it, however, as with any information war, uh, it is very easy to be dissuaded of this intuitive thought and convince yourself that, that you're not an expert uh, or that you don't have time to fully understand the nuance of the situation. Who am I to question these things, right? This is a great and fantastic tragedy. And it is especially tragic when you consider the measured value of the restrictions or lack thereof, pitted against the very measurable damage we have caused to virtually every level of society especially those who can least afford it. To add to this, we had an option of implementing a targeted approach that would have done a fraction of the damage, and yet a binary choice was given, again, to invoke Mr. Tucker's book title, Liberty or Lockdown. Now, before I continue, let's be clear about the restrictions that I'm talking about. Mask use, mandatory, inside, outside, anyone older than two, from the CDC directly, wash your hands, use hand sanitizer every time you touch your mask even if you are outside by yourself away from others, again, from the CDC, wear a mask if that's what authorities demand. No social gatherings, limits on social gatherings, limit on outdoor gatherings, non-essential businesses closed, events shut down, religious institutions closed, restaurants, indoor, outdoor dining, limits on capacity, personal contact services like gyms and salons closed, the arts, theater, museum, galleries, concerts, all shut down. Travel from the CDC. Do your plans include travel by, by bus, train, airplane, which might make staying six feet apart difficult? They, then they recommend you not make those plans. Social distancing, curfews, uh, healthcare, elective surgeries canceled, elective procedures canceled, cancer screenings, dental visits, schools closed down, college students sent home, internships shuttered, daycare centers closed down, educational outcomes affected, childhood and after school programs of all types ended. That's what we're talking about. This is a piece uh, briefly by the New York Times. Uh, I'm just gonna quote just a very small part of it. 
It's also hard to tally the indirect fallout of lockdowns. A death certificate can tell us that someone died of COVID-19. It cannot tell us that the social isolation of lockdown was a factor in someone's drug overdose. There is no nightly ovation for survivors of domestic violence. These tragedies have become an ambient backdrop to everyday life, present but forgotten, very real but ignored. Perhaps America has simply gotten comfortable ignoring the quiet suffering of others. It can be easier to shut our eyes to the outcomes, wait for the vaccine and try to move on. But doing so would be a mistake. This virus is not behind us. How to best mitigate its damage is a question of the present, not the past. So now, what are we talking about? This debate's gonna happen in two ways. This debate will be a debate, I hope, and I believe of factual claims as it should be. But then this debate should turn and maybe morph into something a bit more than just facts. It should be something much more fundamental. It should be about freedom. And I'm sure there's probably some people going, oh, oh my, here we go, freedom. It's gotta be freedom. Uh, but for those that check out at this point, I'm sorry for your cynicism. There's a lot to be said about this idea. Um, I would quote, uh, birds born in cages think flying is an illness. Now, to my claims of fact, step one, what was the goal of the restrictions? Step two, did the restrictions affect the way that we reached that goal? Step three, what did we trade for the results that we got? So what was the goal? The old mantra, 14 months, I mean days, I mean months to flatten the curve, right? But ultimately we're talking about overwhelming the healthcare system. And the metrics we would measure would be hospital beds, ICU beds, ventilators, hospital capacity, that kind of thing. The prediction based off models was that this crisis would reach such levels that we would effectively exhaust our capacity and people would die in waiting rooms and in buses being turned away. So that was the goal. Whoop. <laughs> Sorry, I messed up my notes here. Uh, that was cool. If it's, it's worth noting that this goal has shifted from flatten the curve to stop the spread, which certainly seems connected, but the sentiment really relates to stopping all of transmission if possible, as opposed to keeping transmission from spinning wildly out of control. So let's look at the data. There's, these are current numbers that I pulled as of today, and I was trying to get the most recent stuff. I don't have time to talk through all of them because there's too much, but I'll just hit some, um, some specific states. In Arizona, as of today, the hospital bed capacity is 90%. That's the same, that's the same spot we were um, about in July. So we're not much different from that point. 30% of patients are uh, in the hospital with a positive COVID-19 test, though that is not specific. So they might be there for other reasons, but that's, that's being reported that way. I, I checked and I would, I would imagine there would be some uh, immediate uh, group of headlines, but you'll have to take my word for it. I looked, there are no reports of any singular hospital being overwhelmed in Arizona, period. I, I looked and I would imagine if there, if there was a hospital that was completely inundated, that they were you know, bursting at the seams, it would be front page news. You would see it. Obviously, we would know this, but there are no articles. Now, there are many articles that talk about how it could be, might be, will be, in X number of days and weeks, it will be. But we never, we, there's that, that uh, goalpost keeps getting pushed back. We don't actually see any hospitals being overwhelmed. Okay, so South Dakota, where, you know, news reports were hailing South Dakota a couple of weeks ago as the next, like, enormous COVID hotspot. Disregard for COVID, you know, restrictions was certainly to blame. Uh, you know, led to an overwhelming situation, uh, uh, especially since they have a lot of rural hospitals there. But when we look at the numbers currently, South Dakota's hospital capacity, they're at 58%. And 16% of those are COVID patients. So we would assume that South Dakota's peak two weeks ago from now would hit the hospitals at this point. And they would be bursting at the seams. But again, we don't see that. Okay. 
Florida. I'm sure somebody's out there like, okay, now do Florida. Good old Florida, land of the slow news day antics, right? So, okay, so Florida where the governor's opened everything up statewide. It's crazy, it's madness, it's wild west down there. Okay, so the hospitals, no, not overwhelmed. Uh, if you look at a cross county average, it shows that they all have 20% availability for them based on last year's numbers, not a particularly unusual number for this time of year. Um, again, available ICU beds are at 18.5%. Um, and I wanna take a moment to point something out too, that uh, and this helps really bring context to this situation. In the 2017-2018 flu season, we were treating people in hospital, like in tents, in hallways. I mean, it was, there, there was a lot of expansion of capacity into field hospitals and other things like that. That was during the 2017-2018 flu season. Um, medical staff worked overtime, you know, they, I'm sure they were strained and stressed, but there were no lockdowns in, in regards to that. Um, you know, not that it's any of my business, right? Um, okay, so now that being said, let's consider the most, uh, or one of the more important aspects, timing. When were the measures enacted? And uh, I'm gonna do a screen share here in just a second. When were the uh, measures enacted? And what was that effect? Okay, so what we're gonna do here, pull this up, that was my, Okay, so let's look at when we did things and what happened afterwards. So Florida removes, uh, can everybody, everybody can see that hopefully? Yeah, okay, yeah. great. So Florida uh, removes restrictions. Uh, Fauci says that, you know, Florida's asking for trouble. And then when we pit those re restrictions being removed relative to other states, we do not see the same, uh, same types of rise in cases. So we can go further, California versus Florida, California, certainly closed indoor, outdoor dining, statewide curfews. I think they have now, they've banned uh, outdoor dining. Um, again, numbers not commensurate to what we would think would happen um, in terms of, again, flattening the curve or stopping the spread. LA County, again, uh, mask mandates, curfews, uh, outdoor dining, uh, things continue to escalate. There does not seem to be any marked effect. Uh, Ohio, same thing, mask mandates happen, uh, Connecticut, uh, fines for not wearing masks, and yet we still see these rises and falls that seem to be irrespective of the things that we're doing. Um, we look at uh, Minnesota, and this one's interesting. Minnesota uh, had a shutdown order, but it occurred after the peak, but now they take credit for the fact that the shutdown was helping reduce cases, but it was already after a natural peak had occurred. Um, uh, again, in Kentucky, same story. Up, 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 you know, continued restrictions. Um, okay, I'm gonna move on because I, I know I'm gonna run out of time here. So I wanna kind of close off with some things. Um, we've traded off $6.6 .6 trillion uh, of our money. That was as of April 15th. So I'm sure we spent much more since then. We've given up cancer screenings. We've, uh, there all sorts of metrics in regards to the economy, healthcare, crime, uh, suicides are up, domestic violence is up, uh, arson is up, aggravated assault, burglaries, all, all these things are being cited as metrics related to the pandemic and lockdowns and economic despair. So uh, I'll, I'll leave with this and I know I'm out of time. What does this all mean? It means that when you take a terribly complex problem, such a brand new virus and focus myopically on a singular variable, take all the dials, turn them up to 11 and attempt to achieve victory in that one variable, while simultaneously ignoring everything else, you do something incredibly stupid. COVID restrictions are stupid. You knew this. They tried to talk you out of it, but now you know. Again, thank you.
thank you so much, Jay. Um, if we could um, go out of screen share, we'll go ahead. Oh, yep, yep. Thank mm -hmm. you. Ah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Aaron, go ahead. Your, the floor is yours. Well, I just want to thank uh, Jonah for being here, or Jay, and I'm and I'm excited about what uh, about what Jay said here on the uh, on, on his opening statements. Um, so, I believe obviously that we need to take these precautions seriously. I don't I don't believe that um, these precautions are silly in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we should do our part to wear face masks. We should do our part to socially distance and reduce that curve. Um, the CDC and our, uh, our, our local and statewide um, mandates are for our best, uh, for our health, and are to reduce, um, or reduce the transmission. As, uh, as Jay said, uh, flatten the curve and, and, and to stop the spread. One came first and then the other one. Um, we need to, we need to do both. I think it's apparent that a second, third, or fourth wave is upon us. And for better or for worse, uh, the U.S. is we need to take COVID-19 very seriously. It's a serious threat. Um, the curve was reduced in California. It was going down. However, much rhetoric has put, uh, put doubt in the minds that this isn't more dangerous, uh, than common ailments like the cold or the flu, uh, which are also uh, caught through water droplets. I believe we need to reduce that curve, ensure that we give our hospitals the greatest amount of time prior to uh, developments and through the development of pharmaceuticals um, so that we can ensure that if there is a delay um, during the rollout, uh, that, there, that, we, that, um, that we have the greatest chance of being able to um, support um, those that are getting the vaccination, those who will get the vaccination, and the rest of the people that um, could be saved um, by using those precautions and by not inundating those hospitals. We really need to reduce the death toll. And um, the effects um, that many may live with uh, for years to come after COVID-19, um, we, the, the evidence for this and the amount of research that's been done on this virus is, is acutely known over this past year or so. Um, and a significant amount of a research has been done. However, the after effects of COVID-19 are not widely known. And um, we need to take those into account when, we, uh, when we're putting on our face masks, when we're keeping that six foot distance apart. Um, when we are disciplining ourselves to not uh, go to parties or go out and um, and mingle or or head over to that um, that potluck and uh, touch all of those utensils that people have touched before, we need to make sure that we're doing our best to protect them from ourselves, and we need to do it reasonably and responsibly. I'm not an expert. I don't have COVID uh, nineteen. And I haven't had COVID-19 and I've been uh, doing all these precautions. I've been making sure that I alcohol up um, before I touch, you know, doorknobs and things like that. I do my best to wear my face mask. And, um, you know, there have been some, there have been some close calls with regard to 
maybe some psychosemantic people being sick, but um, I've, you know, I've, I've trained, I've been in, I've been in some training, some, some environments where um, I've had to have interaction with people and um, you know, they implemented the COVID uh, measures during those trainings and they were kind of, um, they seemed at the time for probably some people in the training that they had, um, they were overbearing. I mean, nobody likes to breathe through a face mask. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a big fan of, of breathing through a face mask, but um, no one in that course uh, caught COVID and I was with 17 other people there. Um, it just, it takes some discipline and some diligence. And I think that um, the lives of, of our friends, our loved ones, those with comorbidities, um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dazzle you with statistics, but I just. I believe we need to think about those around us and think about our nurses and our doctors in the hospitals. We do everything we can to reduce the uh, the spread while this vaccine gets rolled out. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Aaron. And now we'll enter into open discussion. All right. Um, Aaron, talk to me about your, your thoughts on, and, and, you know, obviously I want to stick as closely as you can. And I, I think it's easy to bunny trail off sometimes uh, to, to kind of different sort of sub topics. But um, so as far as restrictions, right, because that's what we're here to talk about, right? Um, yeah. We're here to talk about whatever you want to talk about, brother. No, 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 no. Let's, uh, let's give the people what they want. They came here for a debate about COVID restrictions being stupid. So let's, let's give them that, right? Um, okay, so outdoor dining. Stupid, not yeah. stupid. Um, depends. There, you know, outdoor dining, like I've seen, depends. Um, okay, what's the, well, the question is what's the science on it, right? Because that's what we should be, we should be following the science. Um, I can't, I would say that any situation where you're putting yourself six within six feet of somebody else who may or may not have COVID-19, um, that you don't know who, if, who hasn't been living in a box, right. For a period of time, uh, if you're closer than six feet in a, even in a closed dine or an open dining situation, cause I've seen several different kinds, right. I've seen people sitting in a chair in the, in the middle of a field, right. It doesn't okay. seem that's that very open. That's very open. Dangerous. Very and open. that's not backed by too much science. But I don't think there's any any respectable scientist that would say if you're sitting in the middle of a field by yourself, you should be wearing a mask. Right. Okay. Right? So, so then and then and then we have other situations, right? We have um, we have a building where seating is like in some parts of the country because not all the COVID restrictions are uniform, right? Uh, yeah, no, which is, I think that's really good, too, because it certainly gives us a chance to compare and contrast, right? I was recently in Maryland. The COVID restrictions in Maryland are completely different than California. I'm on lockdown <laughs> right now as I speak about this. Um, right. can't go, I, I can, because of a county that I travel to to go to work, I can literally not uh, drive through that county because... I can't get to I can't get to work because I've been out of this I've been with outside 150 miles from that county. So let's go back. So I understand it's not uniform. So let's go back to your your first question regarding 
um, outdoor dining, right? So you have right. some situations where there's like a tent, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a tent before, probably, but um, I don't know how I don't know how safe that is. I don't know how long it would stay in a tent for with other people um, who may or may not have COVID nineteen. So, um, right. So if we're talking I, about I like when you're yeah. talking about scientific aspect yeah. of being in a tent and being served food or for a religious ceremony. Um, I, I would I would say that the, the contractability of of and we can I'm going to go I'm going to work from the flu and the and the common cold right because that's the closest that we really have. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, the um, the after effects of COVID nineteen are much more serious in certain cases. I know that uh, I know that myself. I've seen it firsthand. Sure. But I would say that um, if you're sitting in a field. And you're getting served food. You have a very your your server has a low contractability of getting COVID nineteen if you have COVID nineteen. Right. So in a field, I said a field. Right. Now okay. let's move that to let's move that to a outdoor dining establishment where right. there that is covered by tents. Right. Yeah, and I, I would say that that would only represent a portion of outdoor out, out, outdoor dining. I don't think it's all tented. I think there's obviously a lot of you know people that have. Uh, have, uh, you know, an exterior portion of their restaurant that they could use. So a tent is an example, certain, certainly not the totality of, of examples. I would say that you're, you would, you're increasing your susceptibility and the transfer if you're going into an enclosed environment. Now, I don't believe, like, for example, are those tents certified? Who at the CDC certified those tents? I don't know. So I, I really can't speak, but I all I can say logically is if you're going from an outdoor place to a tent, you're probably going to be more susceptible because you're in a more enclosed space. Now okay. let's move inside that building and let's let's take away the 25% cap on the attendees. Now we're talking about a uh, a situation where you could within a within minutes, hours. I'm not sure. You could you could have or spread COVID nineteen, and it really depends. It, it really depends. Like, I so, mean, we could sit here with. That's that's my view. So you right. asked about that question, and I gave it to you. Very good. I, I mean, my my thought is that uh, twofold. Number one, uh, the science certainly does not suggest that outdoor dining is a significant spreader. That that's something that we do know. Uh, the other thing that we know is that the LA County uh, health official that was question about this, hey, why are you shutting down outdoor dining, did not have uh, an answer. Uh, if you, you, I can, I'll, I'll try to, I actually have a full set of notes that I use to prep for this debate, which I, uh, um, Carissa, I'll make uh, um, available afterwards to everybody that would want it. But it, I mean, there's so much stuff that I've got kind of collated all together. But essentially, yeah, this lady was asked, hey, like, why are you shutting down outdoor dining? What are the numbers on the cases that have been connected to outdoor dining. She did not have any answer to that. And that it was being done out of a, as, as she put it, sort of a preponderance of caution. But the problem is, is that it's not a one-to-one -one trade off, which is a part of actually my opening statement that I had to cut pretty short, but that's the whole point, right? Is that- Your opening these, statement you had to cut short? I know, I know. I had too much. I, I prepared way too much for this debate. Uh, no, ultimately, we're talking about trade-offs, right? This isn't a one-to-one -one kind of thing. If we 
if we enact restrictions so severe that that restaurant closes down, all those people are out of work, right? And people losing their jobs directly related to all types of, uh, uh, you know, negative mental health effects, uh, you know, the fact that they might lose their health insurance, all, all those types of things are a part of that equation, right? And so if they don't have any data to back up the fact that outdoor dining is uh, connected with any amount of significant spread, then to do that arbitrarily is to say that um, cutting off those people's livelihoods uh, doesn't matter. So that, that's why I think outdoor the restriction on outdoor dining, stupid. I really do. Um, so, you know, that's, outdoor dining. I really, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very frank and honest. I don't, I don't think, I think the, the amount that we would uh, do harm for, for businesses that are barely hanging on to take that one sort of shred of hope away from them that they have not only changed their entire dining scheme in order to attempt to remain open, but now we've just torpedoed that. And also, I don't know, this video went viral too. Where a lady had her uh, outdoor dining thing all closed down. They spent thousands of dollars to like make that happen. And then a movie set ends up being uh, across the street, uh, they're filming and catering for the movie set set up in an outdoor dining fashion and was able to provide meals to the cast and crew that would have been identical to her serving food outdoors, but it was not allowed because she is a restaurant and they are the movie industry. And that's why I think that is also very, very stupid. She was visibly distraught that how is this possible that her restaurant absolutely cannot serve food safely somehow, and that these people in fact can. And, and I agree. The, do you want me to defend the the movie producers and the in the and the ability? Because no, I, I don't. No, I, I wouldn't defend that. No, I, I would say I wouldn't defend it either. Right. I, that, and, but that's my whole point, though, is that there shouldn't be a restriction on outdoor dining. And the fact that one person was, and then all of a sudden another person wasn't, makes light of the fact that that's stupid. Because yeah. it's an absolute double standard. I believe so, you know, you're saying it's safe for the movie industry, but not, not for regular restaurants. How could that possibly be? Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh -huh. but you believe that people are disciplined enough uh, and, and or COVID is not that big of a deal. It's a common flu. No, I and I wouldn't know, and I, I, I would never say that. Okay. Just so you know. So, um, yeah, I can't defend I can't defend a, a catering service in a in a movie scenario because I really can't speak to it because I, I'm I, I don't know the details of the case. I don't know the details of the situation completely, and um, I can't hope to put myself in the minds of a of a business owner that has spent their life's work trying to build a business um, and make that successful, especially in the food industry where it's so difficult. It's very, so, yeah, that's a tough, and, tough business for sure. So I can't really, I can't really put myself, I really wish I could, I, I can only try to have empathy for those, those people. Sure. And I, And there's like other restrictions too we could talk about too. We can. Um, I can't. I can't there. really go round and round about the the outdoor um, dining areas. 
I, like I said, I don't know who certifies those tents to be COVID-19 uh, free or not free, but um, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone was thinking, uh, I don't think anyone was really thinking um, about COVID-19 when those tents were designed. I think that people were just, are just trying to make ends meet right. and try to survive in an environment the best they can um, that is not extremely conducive um to profit and that is uh that's probably setting them up for a lot of dreams being dashed uh, lots of uh funding being cut off and um there have the government has put in place um some stop gaps it seems for that i don't not speaking for the government at all right right but, to, but i i they have put some stop gaps in there but at the end of the day at the end of the day as the dominant form of life on the planet i i mean when the dolphins come out and they tell us hey we're we're it uh and we can we'll bow to them but as a dominant form of life on the planet i'd like to just postulate that we everything born on this planet is born out of competition to include a virus okay mm -hmm. and viruses mutate thankfully we have a brain and we have the ability to strategize and work to overcome these kinds of problems we've implemented um, ways for people to uh, stop gap measures for those businesses um, right, but that's but that's my whole that's my whole point though is that we wouldn't have to stopgap the restaurants if the restrictions weren't, again, I'm going off our topic, so I'm trying to remain on that, but if the restrictions weren't stupid, we wouldn't have to do that. Like, if you think about all the money that's been wasted um, because we've enacted things that make no sense, right? Like another one would be, you know, to get on another restriction, curfews. Like, help, help me understand the restriction of curfews and how, uh, number one, it's, I would say at all, like reasonably enforceable, but beyond that, wh what, uh, you know, what's happening, you know, for a, you know, say there's a, a restaurant that, um, you know, cause curfews are enacted in a handful of places. If there's restaurants that have to shut down at 10 PM and you know, that's, that's like, like, that's your spot. You could go and like do stuff. Like how many more people are going to try to, uh, cram in like you're basically concentrating things more does that make sense like in other words if you take a it, setting up a curfew creates a set of barriers that all of a sudden you've taken uh what what business could have been spread out over a slightly longer period of time that people are going to max out whatever the limited capacity is of those restaurants thereby making things worse right um so like the idea that curfews i i just i don't under i do not understand the methodology behind curfews like what are they trying to prevent uh what are they trying to do in by enact by by enacting those well uh, is i mean it i can't uh just let, let, let's take a look at the let's just take a look at the issue right so um with a curfew what is happening is they're trying to it sounds like they're trying to reduce the The you're, you're, people, you're a little close to your camera, just so you know. <laughs> sorry. I, I, okay. They're trying to reduce the amount of people that are meeting up after work, 
um, and traveling to other people's houses and mingling, um, creating those events um, after hours. Uh, curfews would also, like if, if there's like a county and it has no COVID restrictions and your county does have COVID restrictions and you are trying to prevent people in your county from, from getting sick, um, you enact a, a curfew that prevents people from traveling during a certain set of hours. It's, you know, we're really industrious, right? I mean, if our parents tell us not to, you know, not to do something, we figure out a lot of times how to get around that. We're always thinking about how to, how to game the system in some way, shape or form. But if I know, and I don't, if I don't believe in COVID or if I don't believe that it's a threat to me and there, and I really want to go to the club right. and the clubs are closed in my County, well, I'll just right. go two counties over. And, but with the, with the, and if that is something that the law, law enforcement and the, the public, um, the government and, um, the publicly elected, uh, people, uh, leadership in that area have deemed, um, part of what they want to do to enforce, um, and ensure the health of the people so that people pre are prevented from bypassing those restrictions, um, then vote them out. Okay. But, but, but ultimately what, what we're saying though, is that you're, you're, you're positing that curfews are not stupid. No, so, they're a tool. Okay. So I'm, I'm saying they're, they're a poor tool that is not particularly enforceable. And, you know, in terms of people gathering, I don't, I don't think that, okay, so let's look at it maybe from a slightly different angle. We don't have to stay on curfews for too long. It's just, uh, just another one that I think is kind of more of an outlier. Like there, there might be ones that, that are a lot, you know, we, we could have more issue with because there's more science or other things to back them up. But um, I understand what you're saying as far as, we're trying to change people's behavior and and what we're saying is that we're not going to stop everybody but we'll stop some people and if we stop some people then that's worth it is that more or less what you're saying you can only work within the scope of of your control right in in other states not california i'm sure that the counties are smaller and so um tools like that are have been used i mean the laws across the country are all different and we can find a good amount of laws that don't make sense sure i mean you go to some states and there's some laws on the books that make absolutely no sense i okay. agree i'd agree with that in california those counties are much larger right so it's harder to bypass the restrictions if i'm living in humboldt county and i want to bypass the restrictions on humboldt county i have to go to i have to go to like trinity county which is over an hour and a half drive or i have to go to oregon or no del north um so it, it's, it's not one county and it's not one size fits all, but it is a control mechanism. And you sure. may say it's a poor tool, um, but it may be a good tool in, in certain places. At least in, in here, they, they believe it's a good tool. And I, I, uh, I, mean, I would what, at what point it works, works. At what point, though, would they say, okay, now the curfew's, uh, now the curfew's uh, 7 p.m.? Now, now the curfews, uh, you know, as they continue to tighten that, that, that's just the, sort of the slippery slope. But let's let's move on to something else here. Um, slope, brother, they, they, we're in a full we're in a full blown lockdown unless you're part of like the 18. Oh, oh it could always get worse. They, it, you, you think you're locked down. But... 
It's yeah. nothing compared to what China did, right? They like welded people in their homes, right? They did all sorts of crazy stuff. I saw so, the videos. I saw the videos. There. <laughs> all right. So, so let's talk about let's talk about restrictions relative to uh, the trade-offs. And so my point being that we, you know, I listed a bunch of different restrictions, and those restrictions have absolutely real effects on a variety of other aspects of life, right? And so, you know, the amount that we've spent so far, again, is something like, I mean, I, I got a number of something like 6.6 .6 trillion was spent as of April 15th. And that number clearly has to be higher by now. So I, you know, I don't know what the number is currently, but um, that's between uh, quantitative easing, PPP loans, uh, other stimulus uh, money that was sent out to people and other institutions. So we paid all of that money. And then on top of that, we have all these restrictions that affect people negatively. Um, you know, let's just, I mean, I could list off just one aspect of it, right? Because a lot of the debate is centered around, well, you want to go get your hair cut and that's going to kill grandma. And so you're an awful person, right? Like that's sort of what it's been boiled down to, which I think is really, a, you know, it, it, it's like a Twitter battle. It's just sort of worthless in my mind. Like it doesn't really go anywhere, right? Yeah. Do you know what the GDP of the United States is? Uh, it's less than it was before the lockdown, that's for sure. I don't know offhand, but I mean, if you happen to know, that's good. But I mean, I think the, the point being, it's not all what I my point is that it's not all about money, that there's actual, you know, when we talk about statistics, right, and we talk about COVID deaths, um, like those are people. And I think that's fair to point out that they are. But uh, in the same token, there are people that are connected to statistics on the other side of the equation, which, you know, have to do um, some of the ones on mental health that um, that I, I was able to find. Uh, thoughts of uh, suicide from surveys have gone up twofold from 2018. Uh, emergency mental health visits for children are up between 24 to 31%. Accidental uh, deaths. What's that? Accidental, accidental deaths. Accidental deaths. What about accidental deaths? Where are we at with accidental deaths? Oh, um, I mean, I, I'm not sure how that's relevant. Are you talking about like suicides or? I, no, I mean, I, like, why would you bring that up? That's intentional death. No. Um, right. I know. I understand. Death. I mean, what's that? Accidental deaths. Okay, so, but, but but help me understand why. Why is that relevant? You were bringing up the. You were bringing up the. Uh, the negative aspects that I haven't agreed to, uh, that I haven't fully agreed to, sure. I really okay. into it, but I was bringing in, I was bringing out a, uh, the, the accidental deaths is lower mm -hmm. uh, this year um, than, than previously uh, and in previous years. Okay. And why is that? Because we have been indoors or at least, um, a portion of the country, a portion of the world has been indoors for a good period of time okay. or limiting themselves significantly, whereas they wouldn't limit themselves as significantly in the past. Okay. So I'm certainly willing to grant, because I do think that, that uh, a dishonest person would say that that, that should be sort of hand-waved way. But I do think that uh, one of the weird sort of side effects from everything that's been done uh, is that people are... I believe driving quite a bit less and that certainly has led to car less car accidents uh it's sort of weird byproduct but what i would say is that a lot of that having to do with telecommuting has nothing really to do with the lockdown itself other than that people were incentivized 
to find a way to continue to work without driving uh, because of, uh, you know, them not having to then go into the office. Uh, so that's something that could have been done irrespective of the virus itself. So I understand that they're down, but it's sort of like a weird byproduct that I don't really, uh, it's not that it doesn't count, it certainly does, but it's something that could have been done anyway, in that it's really not, you know, related to the lockdown specifically. Um, I mean, it happened because of the lockdown. I'm just saying like it could have happened anyway. Um, so when we talk about less accidents though, I would, I would rebut with, um, yes, people are doing less, but doing less is also not good in that, you know, there's less people going to the gym. There's less people working out. Certainly things like, um, you know, the, those relative health aspects, uh, that people are no longer able to engage in, uh, is having a detrimental effect on their health. Uh, I know, um, there was a survey done by individuals, uh, where over 25, 25% of individuals surveyed gained a significant amount of weight. <laughs> I included, right? Same here, right? I've gained like the old quarantine 15, right? Uh, but people, I, I, I can go weigh myself if you want, but, um, I think I've actually lost some weight. Oh, good for you. That's awesome. I, I have gained some, um, but ultimately, uh, the people in that survey related that weight gain because of increased anxiety, uh, related to the pandemic that they were essentially stress eating because of the, uh, honestly, I think it's has a lot to do with the way that the news presents this whole problem is that it is literally like society ending like every time we turn on the news there's like more covid cases and these people that like it just continues on and on and on and the fear that they're sort of promulgating is a mind killer people stop thinking they they get anxious they don't know what to do they're, they're trapped in their homes they're eating more Th those are all really not good things and they they will those negative effects will stack up over time and they're the type of effects that don't go away quickly um you know so you know I think there's, again, there's a multitude of trade-offs that people are not, I would, I would highly encourage people to listen to, uh, I, I'm probably going to mispronounce his last name, but Jay Bhattacharya. He is uh, one of the people at Stanford that's done a number of studies, uh, serological studies, kind of tracking uh, infection rates. But he has a background in uh, infectious disease and, and that type of study, but he also has a master's, a master's or PhD, I'm not sure which, in economics. And so he's got a unique perspective that brings both those worlds together and doesn't just say we have to stop COVID at all costs, but is able to sort of take into account like there's way more costs here than we're, we're accounting for. And they're very severe and they're wide sweeping and they're really important. And again, my, my, one of my main arguments is that these restrictions, be it as they may, can't be considered in a vacuum. They have to be weighed against the things that um, you know that are happening because of them. Your thoughts? I give you points for your Dune quote: "Fear is the mind killer." It is um, the mind killer. I, I believe that there that you know I, I I don't know what to think. Are I don't know what you're fighting. Is it COVID or is it the news? Because. Um, I, I think it's an information where I think that's very, I think that's very important for you to, that, that you're sort of pointing that out. I do think that it's sort of both, but an information war is a large part of that. And it's that there are a lot of voices that are not being heard. There's a lot of contrarian views that are extremely important. I would say that, um, I, 
I try to be pretty disciplined about the kind of news that I get. And I, mm-hmm. I really want anyone who ever listens to this debate again, ever, um, I would like to encourage you and I'd like to encourage everyone else to warrant their information. Um, I find it very challenging uh, in this day and age to, you know, with the multiple aspects of information that's coming at me, uh, whether by social media or by my favorite news aggregate sites um, or anywhere it's everything is very polarized we've been hearing that term consistently i mean it wouldn't be the social dilemma wouldn't be on netflix right now if there wasn't some people that have that believe that that is actually occurring so you know i will bring out the let me just talk about the news a little bit i would i would just encourage everyone to warrant the information that they're getting right um take mm-hmm. it with a little bit of salt now if that's tucker carlson you need to take with a little bit of call, salt or if that's cnn you need to take with a little bit of salt you need to do your own due diligence well Absolutely. it's not that you know you the, the answer would be like oh i just want i just want it to be easy guess what kids guess what folks life isn't easy it's it it, 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 it for some people i'm sure but for everybody yeah. else life isn't easy and you have to warrant the information that you get when somebody tells you something whether they're a news report or whether it's your friend you've got to warrant that information and you hope you hope that wherever it's coming from whether it be um a major news site or if it's a um a local a local news reporter you would want that information to be warranted but you got to do it yourself you got to make sure that it's not just for the money that they get for the commercials that they put between your interview and the next interview, right? Because right. they're they are making money, right? So I don't know if it's news. We need to separate both those arguments. One is the news, and one is um, one is COVID. So I would say right. that okay. your your mental state, whether you're watching news. Um, Will it be affected if you're living at home in the lockdown situation? Probably. That's where we've got to, that's where everyone has to understand where we're going with this. That's, that was something that was looked at a long time ago, at least for me was, Hey, get ready. 18 months for a vaccine. Here comes warp speed. And we're at December 15th, right? That's less. That's not 18 months. Will will I um, will I get um, will I get the vaccine in eighteen months? Probably, probably. But we could we could certainly talk about that. I don't know, uh, Carissa, if you think that's worth kind of delving into. But um, yeah, I mean, unless I do want to keep it on, like you know, to talk about. But unless that's central to the actual like restrictions if we could just wrap it back to more specifically whether or not this the restrictions are stupid that would be great okay i can i can actually tie those two together i think mm-hmm. um so aaron just just uh kind of think of it this way so um what we do know uh so far is that it is relatively unknown whether or not the vaccines themselves will um, give us any ability to go back to normal. So the vaccines themselves um, seem to be a 
uh, a prophylactic in terms of mitigating uh, symptoms, but there doesn't appear to be any uh, uh, um, consensus at all or any kind of definitive information that's, that, it was, that would say um, that the vaccine will keep you from spreading the virus. So it's, it is, maybe you could connect it in that way in that even if this vaccine rolls out, Aaron, and uh, even if you get the vaccine, in theory, you could still get COVID and pass it on to someone else. So in regards to restrictions, the vaccine is, I think, relatively moot. Um, you know, I don't know if you have a feeling about that, but that does, I mean, that, that's how I would tie kind of those two together. I mean, beyond that, I, I still think that, um, and I don't know, Aaron, I, I really am curious on your thoughts, like given, and, and there's so much more I could kind of say as far as the trade-offs, do you not feel like the amount of uh, money that has been spent, the amount of uh, restrictions that have been put in place, the amount of uh, mental health, uh, physical health, um, and uh, economic health that the country has taken damage from, uh, is it really, is that restriction really, uh, are those restrictions really serving the country well? Are they smart? Let's say, let's, you know, that would be the opposite of stupid, right? Like, are the restrictions smart in that way, given the trade-offs? I think they're smart given, um, given the, uh, the trade-offs. Um, you do. I, I think that they're smart given the, the trade-offs. I asked you before what the GDP of the United States is, and I'm uh -huh. speaking from California in the United States. GDP is 20.49 trillion. The second country that comes up after the United States is China with 13.61 trillion. And okay. if, um, so what you're saying though is I that from a monetary standpoint. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the reef. If we could let him finish his point and then, yes. then you can respond 100%. Yeah, I'm so sorry. No, you're good. So, <laughs> well, then we can go to like, I mean, even you go to any other other country like Japan, 4.97 trillion. I mean, the United States has almost twice the GDP of China. Um, and there are other countries that are suffering significantly more with their lockdowns. And they're operating with a lot less funds and a lot less uh, finances than the United States. If there is any country that has the a good system or a good ability to weather this storm, it is the United States. Now that doesn't help the rest of the world. Like that, that, that I'm sure it falls on very deaf ears from somebody in in a country whose GDP is not significant, right? Um, so what do they have to do? I think that we're all suffering in in a very similar way um, with regard to being um having to go through the social distancing what countries are just are, are implementing social distancing many of them which countries are implementing mask wearing a lot of them it can the entire world cannot be completely wrong on this um well, unless you're telling me they are and then i will let you have it go ahead how, how about it sure uh okay so can um the, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure the exact question, but I, I mean, it sounds like you're saying, is the whole world, has the whole world gone mad, right? Is that, right? It, either, either everyone's right or everyone's wrong. And, and I would say, I would, I would call that a false choice. Let's put it on a, a, maybe I'm misrepresenting, I don't want to misrepresent you. What's that? 
put it on a spectrum. They're mostly right with the implementations, but we've got to agree on implementations, what you think is not right and what you think is, is silly and what uh, you think is not so right. silly. And I mean, so what exactly do you feel is silly and what do you exactly feel is not silly? Because it'd be difficult to... Um, sure. So, uh, mm -hmm. I mentioned, okay, so again, uh, there's two different aspects to this, right? Like there's things that are sort of silly because we're not following the science and there's things that relative to their trade-offs are silly because we're doing so much damage. Um, you know, it's like if, um, th there's an analogy somewhere, I don't even need to say it, but it's basically, yeah, if, if, if we're doing more, if, if the cure is worse than the disease, then we shouldn't do it, right? Like that's that would be what I'm at least trying to get at in terms of trade-offs. So uh, when we talk about restrictions that don't make sense uh, on their face, because there's really no or very little or very tenuous science to even back it up, if any, um, those are silly. Those are stupid, uh, not smart, um, senseless. Uh, and I would say then some of the restrictions that maybe make some amount of sense or have some amount of science to back them up or are have some type of logical kind of framework, I would I would challenge those all but a few in that I think the trade-offs again that we're we are uh, the things that we're trading off uh, is not worth it. I just don't. And I think and, and, and maybe I'll bring this uh, into more of a solution kind of uh, based argument in that I think we were given a very binary choice, right? We were said we basically it was like lockdown or just let her rip. Right, just let it run wild, and everyone's gonna just go nuts, and it's you know it's gonna be you know mayhem. So I I think that is that is the tragedy, that is the false choice. I think people like uh, Jay Bhattacharya, and again I'm sorry if I'm saying it, I'm probably butchering his name, but uh, those that have been involved with a particular project called the Great Barrington Declaration, I think people really need to look at that. I think they need to actually go to that website. They need to don't Google the Great Barrington uh, Declaration. Go to the Great Barrington uh, Declaration's website and read what they actually say about themselves. Because the the the, the point is is that um, that there isn't um, there isn't just this sort of singular consensus that there are people uh, that think differently on this. Um, and again, like I, I would say that those you know those trade offs are just they're just not worth it. I, I just, I don't think it's worth, um, you know, kind of trading those things. Uh, as far as solutions, sorry, I actually lost my train of thought. I found it um, very quickly. Um, a targeted approach was a third option that no one ever really gave serious consideration to. When we look at the deadliness of this disease on the demographic from zero up to 100, Right there, that is a hugely different sliding scale where the difference between 18 and younger versus 80 and older is like night and day. It's an enormous difference. The fact that elementary schools are closed is an absolute travesty. There's no science to back that up whatsoever. Children are not a significant spreader based on the science of this disease. And they're not, they're not a significant spreader to teachers, which would kind of take that particular art. Yes, yeah, oh, hey, I, all right, now, now we're getting somewhere. Aaron, Aaron, <laughs> Aaron didn't like that. Um, no, it's true. The, the science behind children uh, spreading the disease uh, in a school setting is very, very, very minimal, if any. It is not a significant spreader in this particular case. And again, I'm talking, at the very least, I'm talking elementary schools. There, there certainly is a case to be made 
uh, maybe at the high school level. I think that actually there's still a good argument there uh, that that's not necessarily a significant uh, you know issue. Uh, college level, maybe that's where the, the threshold could get a change. But think about this. When we locked everybody down, and, and in addition to that, we sent college students home to learn remotely, right? And you talked about, you know, what can we enforce? We can only kind of do what we can do in the, in the framework that we have, right? And the, the ability to control things. So we took college students that are probably going to go out and party and do stuff, and we put them back in their aging parents' homes as opposed to being at college. We actually made things worse doing that. That, that, that move was a terrible move. S same as where uh, New York um, made uh, people that were COVID positive go back into uh, long-term care facilities. That was a horrendous blunder that, uh, that uh, the um, governor there should absolutely be held to account on, but wasn't. Uh, that, that to me is, those are two very, very obvious things. Long-term care facilities and the, and the targeted protection of those uh, individuals, that would have been the smart move. Far and away, but you could debate almost anything else. Uh, that I think is undebatable. That we have done, uh, many many countries have done a very poor job of uh, recognizing that a targeted approach to elderly people would have been a enormous benefit. That they absolutely should have done that. It would have paid huge dividends. When you, especially when you look at the number of, uh, when you look at the age demographic demographics in terms of death. Sorry, that was a long rant, but. <laughs> You just said, so, okay, um, let's, let's go with spreaders, right? Let's talk about the spreaders, right? So you said that the children um, in elementary school would not be spreaders. Um, I, I don't think that they're, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, if, if you have COVID and you're, and you're walking around and everyone has been very sensitive to who's got who's getting sick but there are still patients that are asymptomatic and they are carrying covid that could be elementary school students that could be your high school students and mm. you did yeah. mention that um talk about asymptomatic so let's keep going may not you said we don't know if it makes if it just handles the symptoms and people can still spread it so what I what I'm hearing you say here is that um, that we should target intelligently our our grandparents and those with the comorbidities, and that we should care less about the children that could be that may or may not be spreading it, and. We should not get the vaccine because it may not also help. It, it it may not reduce the spread. It may it may increase our ability to be asymptomatic and not end up in the morgue. But is that what you're saying? I'm I'm just trying to get a beat on what. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things I would say. Uh, number one, uh, I do think that um, the vaccine potentially makes the most sense for people that are, let's say 70 plus, I think that does make more sense, at least in so much that if those vaccines are safe, then the, the, uh, the downside risk for a vaccine uh, for an 80 plus person is much less than them actually getting COVID. Them getting COVID is definitely worse uh, in that regard. So I do think we should look at, uh, you know, if those vaccines are safe, you know, if that data bears out, then that vaccine for that population absolutely makes sense. Vaccines for, 
um, people that are uh, 18 and younger, or especially 12 and younger, they have not given the vaccine in terms of their test trials to anyone under 12. So to me, that's very, very dicey to roll that out in mass and mandate that in any way. That would be really, really silly, I think. Um, uh, what, what we would also know is that the flu has killed more kids in America this year than COVID has. And that, that's, that we need to understand that, that the, the, the relative source. danger for COVID, what's that? Cite your source. You oh, sure. On that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will pull that up. But as I'm pulling that up, uh, Aaron, tell me your thoughts on asymptomatic spread, because that was something else that you had mentioned. Asymptomatic spread. Okay, so you don't have any symptoms and you're spreading COVID and you don't have the, the traditional cough or it's not, it, you, do, you look like you don't have, you, you look like you're not sick, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, if we're just talking about a couple people that end up in the, in, in, in the ER and then they get out and it's fine, um, I don't think that that's what we're talking about here. I, you know, I think that it's, a, it's an extremely real virus. Uh, this isn't a belief. This oh, isn't. Oh yeah, no, I, the virus is real. I 100% agree. This is not a religion. It's not some. You know, there's people that say that. Oh, I believe. You know, it's it, it doesn't. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in it. And this isn't a virus. There are base pairs. It it has a gene sequence. It and. For some people, they are more susceptible. Do we do we absolutely know down to the person who is most susceptible to this? Do we do we have a numbers on on that? We have or we have some demographic. May have some demographics, but the the issue I take with um, with the the spreading of of COVID nineteen is. You may survive from it. There may be people that, that are dying of COVID, and I absolutely believe it. I mean, the news does not lie. I mean, you look across the span and the spectrum of news, and you'll see it. Um, it is a serious problem. It's affecting our hospitals. And those that don't die from it mm -hmm. are having problems um, I forget the term. What do they call it? They're calling it now. You may know what the term is, but they're they're they have additional problems outside of just the 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 once like the flu, right? We like to liken this to the flu. It's not the flu, okay? You may get it's, sick like the flu, but you know this this is not the flu. It's putting people in the morgue, and even after some people have recovered. And I say recovered with air quotes because uh -huh. they are somewhat recovered. They it depends, on, it depends on who's recovering because if you're talking about a healthy person, the the likelihood of them recovering well is actually really really high. When you're talking about people that have comorbidities that didn't die that are then recovering, yes, those people do have uh, extenuating circumstances coming off that. I'm talking about I'm pro I'm talking about people that are waking up in the morning that have that don't have comorbidities that are waking up um, feeling tired, lapses in memory, inability to do things that they would normally do. Um, I'm talking about the people where they, they can't perform a normal job because 
COVID has impacted them. Uh, like, the, like they call them long haulers. And the, the people that you don't just get sick like the flu or a cold and you go back to normal, but you are plagued by the after effects of this and the destructive nature of it. Uh, and it doesn't kill you, but it's going to affect your life. It may have, you know, we, we talk about the finances, right? Um, and I really think that's the last thing that we should be thinking about, even though I bring up GDP um, and being able to weather a storm. But, you know, there's, we got to, I think we got to look at, you know, 20 years from now, we got to look at those people that were long haulers and we're going to have to take care of those people, right? And there are a lot of people in hospitals right now that are dying of this virus because they either didn't believe that it was a serious threat or they didn't feel that unless they knew somebody personally, I've seen the, I've seen the social media posts. Well, if I didn't, has anybody actually known anyone that's been affected by COVID? I, you know, like, and, and up until that point, I sit there and I go, yes, I know people that have been affected by COVID. I know people personally that, um, have, are long haulers and, um, it, it is extremely destructive of seeing it firsthand. Like I'm not talking about the first couple of weeks. I'm talking like months afterwards. They can't do. Yeah, I, I would. They can't do what they. Yeah, used I, would, to I would agree. I mean, I, I do think that these uh, that people are affected. Uh, you know, especially if they have again some of those exist. You know, if you have asthma, if you have diabetes, some of these other conditions certainly are exacerbated, and your recovery is much much longer. I'm not. I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing that the virus is real. I'm not disputing that some people have been very stupid, especially if they have those types of conditions and they decide that they're, they do not care about the risk. That may not be a wise thing for them to do. Uh, okay, so uh, children for, uh, so let's see here. Uh, this is actually something that was fact-checked by PolitiFact. Uh, younger people, for younger people, seasonal flu in many cases is deadlier than the virus, than the COVID-19 virus. Uh, mostly true. Uh, essentially, uh, the numbers from the 2018-2019 uh, flu season, 480 flu deaths among children 0 to 17. Uh, in the, so far in 2020, uh, 90 people have died that are in that age category from COVID. So it is, the flu is substantially more dangerous for younger people than COVID-19. Um, and then that would certainly parlay into this idea that restrictions, coming back to restrictions, are silly uh, and stupid for elementary schools. This is not something we should be doing. We should, we should not be putting a, uh, you know, a six-year-old, uh, you know, that's in, you know, kindergarten in front of a computer all day and having him sit and not being able to, like, play with uh, his classmates uh, at uh, lunchtime. There's reports of uh, people not wanting the students to, to talk because they feel like too much talking while they're eating is going to uh, spread COVID everywhere. So they have them not talk during lunch. I mean, these are interactive uh, facets of a person's childhood that are important. They're developmental items that we're just immediately just sort of cutting off. And I, again, I think that, again, based on the science, we're following the science, we're following uh, what we know that this, this uh, is not a significant problem, and it is causing a significant problem by uh, enacting that restriction. I would say that is stupid. 
<laughs> dying and giving grandpa COVID-19 are two different things, right? So a child dying of COVID and a child being asymptomatic and being able to pass, seemingly pass it on to grandpa and grandma or somebody with COVID comorbidities are two different things, right? right? And going to your other grandparents and then passing it to other kids and passing it to other people. And, and then everyone's infected. <laughs> Sorry. Saying, Go ahead. Sorry. Dying and, and giving and giving and being able to pass it on are two different things. Uh, and and I think that when when you have loved ones that have, that are in the hospital and you know that they're they you know everyone wishes they had more time. Everybody wishes they had more time. I I wish that I didn't spend so much time on Nintendo probably when when I end up there. But you know, if you're in a situation where you've been diagnosed with COVID and you're in an ICU and you're in an ER, you wish you had more time. You wish you could be breathing, right? And I they say it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I have oh. a sense to interrupt too much. Go ahead. <laughs> so I would say that um, that developmental trade-off uh, is worth it in in comparison to. To, to not ha to be in a situation where grandpa and grandma or one of your relatives would be able to be there for you in a situation where if COVID didn't exist, they would be there for you. And right. I get the developmental part of it, but I think that we've seen some, you know, I was recently in a, in a, in a course and um, I know that a lot of people don't like, teleworking and hybrid scenarios and um, virtual classes and stuff. And I tell, you know what I think? I think right now is the perfect time to go to school. A lot of people are just staying home and not doing anything. This is the perfect time to go to school. And I think that we have an aspect that we haven't really even tapped. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back to um, precautions are silly. Uh, yep. teleworking and virtual the scenario, the virtual scenario, mm -hmm. um, and, and working through video chat is a great opportunity, right? Opportunity, doing, I would say it's not a restriction. Right now we're doing it right now. We're, we're, yep. we're working through, through a chat right now yep. and it's more because of distance than anything else. Sure. But there's another aspect of being able to talk in a, in a video chat in the classroom. When, it's, when, it's, when you're sitting there with other people, you don't know what they're thinking. They may have the greatest idea on the planet. Um, I was in a class recently where um, I had both situations because of the bubble situation in the beginning of the course. I had to um, quarantine in my hotel room for a period of time, get a test, and then I could somewhat interact with the other people in the class obviously with a six foot distance and with masks and everything like that. Nobody got the, nobody got COVID at least that we knew of in the class. But one thing I noticed between, and this, this touches upon developmental problems because of COVID-19, because you're not interacting with children. I noticed that people were more apt in the virtual classroom to, to, to speak and to put in the chat box, what they thought when they were going through the instruction, basically what was going on in their mind, whether it be a quote or whether it be an add on that they would not have been able to talk about if they were in physically in the classroom. And right. I noticed 
change between that and we can you can you can identify that it is that it doesn't matter or that it does matter or that uh, there's no value to that but there were some in that class there were we were talking about some complex um theories uh, in communication and there were several classmates who were extremely bright and they were really brilliant in the way that they brought out ideas and other aspects that I didn't really think about in that classroom setting because of the precaution of right. doing the video interface. They could type out, hey, this quote is from Sun Tzu or this quote is from this person. And it brought a lot of light to um, the, the conversation that the instructor was when they were, they were teaching. And then when we went to a classroom setting, guess what? I was robbed of, of having that person's opinion because we didn't have a chat box that we that their their thoughts could just I could read them immediately. So right. I, well, I, I would go ahead. Go ahead. In that sense, um, that was something that I enjoyed. Right. That was something that I enjoyed from those students, and I think that precaution. I I don't know how much merit we want to give to that method of teaching and that method of instruction, but I I thought, think. I thought it was good. I'm sorry. I'm going to actually jump in really fast here. Yeah. Um, if you, if the brief, if you want to um, kind of respond and maybe start your like, kind of closing statement and then Aaron, you yeah. can go ahead with your closing statement and then we'll get to questions. That would be wonderful, but go ahead and respond. Yeah. And Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, Aaron, I would just say two things. Number one, that, uh, you know, there's a big difference between, uh, you know, more college age students that have had the benefit of all those uh, social interactions as children and then are now in a situation that they can navigate an online world that is certainly very, very different from the in-person world. I would also say that there's a huge age and developmental difference between what needs to go on and happen in an interactive fashion and the way uh, some people learn kinesthetically, especially at a young age, uh, like those are big there's a huge gulf in in developmental ages between kind of what you're describing which i don't disagree that uh, uh remote learning has some interesting advantages and yes it maybe breaks down some barriers that wouldn't have otherwise been there but in relation to younger age school children that's very very different not not apples to apples certainly apples and oranges um but that being said i'll uh yeah as far as closing statements um so a couple of things that i think Again, in, I want to bring the debate back to restrictions. And again, I talked about a few of those restrictions that I think don't make sense from a, from a logical or science-based approach, things like uh, banning outdoor dining, uh, curfews to a large degree. I think um, the way that we have not had a targeted approach is really, really, uh, I, to me, that's a, a tragedy that we have not done that. Um, I think people need to uh, people need to expand. Aaron, you talked about listening to the news and uh, you know vet, vet and warrant what you listen to. I think people would really be better served by listening to a, a little bit broader of a uh, appetite of of news. And I, I think people like again, uh, you know uh, Jeffrey Tucker. I think in his some of his uh, things that he talks about with the uh, American Economic Institute. Um, uh, I think. Jay Bhattacharya, I think that uh, the there's the researchers that put together the book, The Price of Panic, uh, which I certainly delved into in kind of looking at the, uh, again, the other side of the COVID debate. We need to expand our ability to find these sources of information and 
be able to, you're right, see, you're right, it's not going to be easier. And I think that's a really great point. I think that's, you know, really good life advice that uh, people are going to have all different types of agenda, money can influence things, politics, uh, all of that. But uh, if we're not going beyond those immediate, easy, uh, just give me the headline, just uh, give me the first paragraph stuff. We need to go beyond that and further than that. I think people like Jeremy Hammond, I think people like uh, RFK Jr. There's people that have different perspectives that are certainly well-respected people that we need to hear. Things like the Great Barrington Declaration. People need to look at that for themselves. Don't Google these things. Go and find the original source. Get it unfiltered first and then make your decisions based on that. Um, I think I've made a good case generally for that the restrictions are in fact stupid. I think we all intuitively know this. We can recognize that there is a lot of damage being done, that those trade-offs are not worth it, that those trade-offs involve real people being affected in real time, and that we can't just hand wave those things away, and that there are other options available. Uh, I think that uh, I really respect and appreciate Aaron having this conversation with me, and I really, really hope that people uh, have more conversations like this. And um, again, I'm so happy that Modern Day Debate is hosting these things. This is super important, and I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much, um, and we're really happy to have you on. Aaron, if you want to say anything, and then we can get to the, the questions. Um, yeah, so... In the very beginning, uh, Jay brought up um, essential jobs, tyranny, two weeks of quarantine, uh, the tragedy that damages the, the that this has damaged the economy, um, the binary choice. Um, he, he he brought up the flatten the curve, and now it's stop the spread, and uh, the. Um, and I think that what he's trying to get at is that there's more intelligent ways of doing, um, of doing, of, of making sure that the spread doesn't happen. And from my point of view, um, we can't all agree on probably the best way of doing things. And I'm sure that the first rollout on in any situation for pandemic, for the first date that somebody goes on. It always has some problems. Um, so I will concede a little bit to that. But overall, I think that we see a event where people and children and families, um, they let their guard down a little bit. They become a little bit less disciplined. Um, and we see an event about two weeks later. Um, we'll look at, uh, an event like, um, Halloween or Thanksgiving, and we see the effects uh, a little bit after that. Um, I would, I would argue instead of tyranny, just personal and self-discipline, um, if, if at all possible. And if we can't get that from ourselves, so people don't believe that COVID is real, then we have the government and our elected officials that can that can try to enforce um or at least lead us towards not um being in a spreading COVID around and and to try to keep us safe so i would um i would just you know i'd like to close with um 
we're not out of the woods yet, but we're getting there. And I think the thing that people in America need to know and in, around the world, anyone who sees this on, on YouTube or any of the other forums is, you know, the hope is right around the corner. Like it is literally right around the corner. Um, vaccines are, Moderna just got um, approved. Pfizer's been approved. Um, and we're going to have more COVID vaccines than we know what to do with. I've been saying it since like May. We're going to have more COVID vaccines than we know what to do with. We just have to hang on a little bit longer for those people with those comorbidities, our, our grandparents, our ailing our ailing uh, family members or people that may be of high risk. We just got to be a little bit more disciplined and make sure that, um, you know, if we do that, we can we can be around them and enjoy them and, and be with them for another day. Thank you so much, Aaron. Um, and thank you both so much for coming on. Um, we have a couple questions here. The first one is uh, from Maverick. It's a question for the brief. Um, where are the millions of deaths that were predicted? Follow the science is fine when it is accurate. But what about when it is drastically wrong? Lose freedom for a flu. Yeah, I mean, uh, my response to that would be, I mean, he's, he's essentially referencing models. Um, there's certainly been an enormous issue with the way that these models were put together. Um, one of the initial models in regards, and you, you can look this up, it sounds, it sounds crazy, but it's um, one of the genesis for one of the models that was created in regards to social distancing was actually a high school science project. And I know that sounds nuts, but um, essentially this uh, gals, and it's not to say that it's completely wrong that if that there, there couldn't be a high school science project that's brilliant in that way, but ultimately the, the, the science being put into it was sort of declarative. It wasn't, um, they basically said, we believe this is true. And if we do this, X is going to happen. So they created a model that uh, adhered to what they declared to be true. And that that girl's father happened to be fairly well connected in, in some of the scientific or intellectual community. And that model is kind of like ran, you know, from that point forward. And um, these models clearly were terribly flawed. I mean, if you look at, at the very beginning uh, Michael Osterholm did a interview on Joe Rogan, where this was in my, like, like March 10th, and uh, they said conservatively, but in the next three to seven three to seven months, conservatively with lockdowns, there'll be 480,000 deaths and like 98 million hospitalizations. It, the numbers were like off the charts. So I, I think that's what he's talking about, and I agree. I think this, the the problem is it, the problem is the discussion. What we're having right now is an actual discussion of ideas and like vetting those things. And so I, I think he's right. If the science doesn't make sense, it should be vetted. It should be peer reviewed. It shouldn't just be uh, touted as, as gospel and ran with. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you. The next question is from Mark Reed. He says to the brief, would you be fine with one of your family members dying if it meant not having a lockdown? That's a great question. Um, you know, again, I would say I, I don't want anyone to die unnecessarily. Do people die in America and that's unavoidable? Yes. Um, if, uh, I think, again, this is the false choice that we've been presented with. I, I feel like that's a dodgy way of, 
answering this question. I don't want to be dishonest with it. Um, I, I would, I'll come at it from an angle they probably don't expect. Many of my family members, if not most, are Christians. And although it would be incredibly tragic, and if there was a way to avoid it, I think that would be good. But ultimately, uh, we I believe that heaven exists and that they would be there. And that even though that's not a, I don't condone people being foolish or irresponsible, at the same time, uh, there's, something that, there's something that goes beyond death in that regard. So for me, it would be sad, but not... Uh, not sort of an ultimate tragedy that would would sort of haunt me. All right. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. Um, mm-hmm. oh, I've got one. I've got one thing. Uh, yeah. One point. It's, it worldwide deaths is at one point six three four ish million. Uh huh. So wanted to identify that that's like the worldwide death count, and I think that if we just ignored it all together that um, if COVID doesn't exist or we just, you know, anything that was related to this conspiracy of COVID, um, the deaths would be a lot higher because we wouldn't have a name and we wouldn't have a medical practice. We wouldn't have science that, that would attack this as um, just another flu. And because of that excellent care that people are getting in the United States, um, and because of the many people that are not going out and spreading uh, spreading the virus and, and people that are staying home and implementing these practices, hospitals are able to breathe in this environment. And they're able to give that life-giving care to those people. Um, and the more ICU beds, the more the higher the percentage of or the lower the percentage of ICU beds that are available, and as it eclipses the ability to care for people, I believe that that's when people start to die, when they can't get care. So um, that's what I wanted to add to the, the millions of deaths on, sure. I can't remember his name's question. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you. Um, and I, I really appreciate both of you coming on and to the audience. I really appreciate you watching. Um, be sure to check out the links in the description. Uh, if you like this debate, be sure to subscribe and like the video. Um, and we will definitely be seeing you for future debates. Thank you all for uh, taking time out of your busy schedules and keep on separating the reasonable from the unreasonable. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.